Jesus, thank you for that promise that we will never be forsaken. And Lord, open your word to us now. Help us to understand it and apply it to our lives so that we can live in the victory you came to give us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to welcome everyone who is watching this on the podcast or in the community center. It is great to have you with us. I was once a speaker at a high school summer camp and the whole week built up to the final night where I was supposed to give this invitation for people to receive Jesus as their Savior. And right as I started into that invitation, my one-year-old daughter, who had been peacefully sleeping through the whole sermon, as many of you have done, (laughs) suddenly started crying at the top of her lungs, which none of you have done, which is fortunate. Well, my wife jumped up to kind of get her out of the meeting tent, but as she left, the stuff fell out of the baby bag, so she had to put that back in, which made my daughter cry even louder. And then a couple of students tried to help, but they tripped over some chairs. And I mean, this whole thing went on for like five minutes. And I'm stalling and trying to ad-lib, but you know what? It was, the mood was gone. It was too late. And it kind of made me wonder, was that just a coincidence or was it something else? Because the timing was so perfect, it was like the devil wanted to stop anything spiritual, so he pinched my daughter to make her cry. We're doing a sermon series based on questions that you all have asked, and today the one I want to tackle says this. You sometimes mention Satan messing with you. How do we recognize a spiritual battle, and how do we equip ourselves to fight it? Spiritual warfare. Now, to a lot of people, the whole idea of the devil is just kind of this medieval, superstitious kind of thing. Sort of like a story that I heard about two boys who were talking about the devil after Sunday school. And one boy said to the other, what do you think about all this Satan stuff? And the other boy said, well, you know how Santa Claus turned out. It's probably just your dad. (laughs) That's how some of us are about the devil, but it's not your dad. Here's the deal. The same Bible that asserts that there is a God, an assertion that most of us accept, also asserts that there is a force that works against God and his purposes, and the Bible calls that force Satan. Now, you know, to some people, I mean, the the devil is behind everything, right? Every little thing that goes wrong, the devil is behind that, right? You know, sort of, I didn't get a parking space, so I was late to church kind of a thing, right? No. Instead of looking for a parking space down here, you should have parked at Bellevue Christian, then you would have been on time, right? Devil's not behind everything. Many of the things that go wrong in life are just a natural part of life. But then there are other people who don't think there is a devil and doesn't, the devil doesn't do anything. Between those two extremes lies the biblical truth. So how do we recognize a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare when it happens? Because it is all around us. You and I as Christians are engaged in a spiritual battle. So how do we recognize it when it happens? Well, each situation is different. But let me give some possible examples of what spiritual warfare looks like. It could be, for instance, a sudden series of intense doubts about your faith. I'm not talking ordinary doubts that we all have, but intense, prolonged doubts about following Jesus. It could be things like uh, intense guilt or shame or fear, one of the devil's best weapons. A series of circumstances that derail you from your relationship with God. Disunity and fighting amongst Christians, another one of Satan's favorite weapons, get us all fighting with each other and gossiping about each other. That way we won't get anything done for Jesus. And in fact, a lot of times when we are fighting with someone else, the other person really isn't so much the problem. The, The text we read today says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. 
A lot of times, not always, but a lot of times when we're fighting with someone, the problem isn't so much the person we're fighting with as it is the devil egging us on. Then there are all the temptations that we face. Whenever you have the opportunity to entertain a lustful thought, you are on a spiritual battlefield. Every time you toy with the idea that you're just a little bit better than someone else, you are under enemy fire. Now, some of those things are just a normal, natural part of life, but some of them come from the devil. They're orchestrated from outside. And the more you follow Jesus, the more you can expect to be attacked. In fact, I kind of take it as a compliment. When I feel attacked, I kind of take it as a compliment, you know, that, that I must be doing something right to make Satan nervous about little old me. And if we as a church are making a difference for Jesus out there in the world, we will face spiritual attack. But the good news is there are some weapons in this battle that we can use to defeat the devil. And I don't have time to talk about all of them, but I want to mention just a few that the Apostle Paul talks about in this passage. In our spiritual battle, we have the belt of truth. And what does a belt do? What kind of holds everything up, holds everything together? You see, back in biblical times, soldiers wore skirts, which is weird, but they did. Very impractical, because when the battle came, they had to hike up their skirts with a belt so their legs were free to run. And that's what the belt of Jesus' truth does for us. It holds our lives together so we can move forward. See, one of the things Satan loves to do is tell us lies about God or lies about ourselves. Things like, oh, you can't trust God. He's out to take away all your fun. Or he's really mad at you. You better not turn to him. Or lies about ourselves. Things like, I'm not lovable. I'm a failure. I'm no good. Let me ask you this question. What lies are keeping you from running in the battle? When Satan comes at you with those lies, replace them with God's truth as found in Scripture. I have a friend whose seven-year-old son got home from school one day kind of depressed because some kids had told him that he was no fun to be with, kind of teasing him. Now, I don't think that's spiritual warfare. That's just kids on the playground. But the spiritual warfare part came because Satan took that comment, you're no fun to be with, and just kind of amplified it in this little boy's mind until he just could not let it go. So my friend said to him, well, let's ask Jesus what the truth is. Let's pray. So they prayed for a while, and then afterwards my friend said, what did Jesus say to you? And his son said, Jesus said that he loves me and that he thinks I'm fun to be with. The truth of Jesus and how he actually feels about us replaced the devil's lies. So when the devil lies to us, one of the things that I have found very helpful is to say out loud the following sentence. I break agreement with the lie that, fill in the blank, I'm no good or whatever. I break agreement with the lie that, and I choose to believe God's truth that... And fill in the blank as a way of telling Satan to shut up. God's truth holds our lives together so we can go forward. Second weapon we have is the breastplate of righteousness. And if you think about what a breastplate does is it protects your heart, right? So a breastplate of righteousness would protect our hearts from feeling of guilt, feelings of guilt and shame. Because again, one of the things the devil loves to do is kind of take all of our sins, all of our failures, and just rub our nose in it. Right? Like, look at this. Doesn't this make you feel disgusted with yourself? Aren't you depressed about who you are? Aren't you awful? The breastplate of righteousness is our defense against that. Because the righteousness that the scriptures talk about isn't our own. We don't have any. It's Christ's righteousness inside of us. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see sinful people. He sees, he sees Jesus inside of us. And he sees people who are forgiven and who are becoming more like Jesus and taking on his character day by day by day. That protects us from feelings of shame. Third weapon we have, the shield of faith. And faith doesn't mean just mere belief in God. Even the devil believes in God. Faith is when we put our beliefs into action. 
I've told you before, I can believe that the chair will hold me up, but I don't have faith in the chair until I sit in it. Someone told me a story that back when Boeing first started flying jet engine planes, some folks were kind of unsure about the new technology. And a few months after the first jet engine flight, there was a, a Boeing engineer on a propeller-driven plane, and he struck up a conversation with, his, with the nearby passenger. And the passenger asked the Boeing engineer about the new jet airplanes, and the engineer went on and on about how great it was, how great the new technology was, how well-built Boeing planes were. And then the passenger said, well, have you flown on one yet? And the engineer said, no, I think I'll wait a little while longer, so it's flown a little bit more. He believed in the jet engine, but he didn't have faith in it. You see, when we act on what Jesus tells us to do, forgive our enemies, love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Let go of bitterness. When we act on what Jesus tells us to do, what we say we believe, then God's power rushes in. When we act on what we say we believe, we send the devil running. Okay, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith. Fourth thing that Paul mentions here is the helmet of salvation. And if you think about what a helmet does, it protects your head. So a helmet of salvation would de de uh, protect us from despairing thoughts because it's the assurance that God will save us even in difficult circumstances, like a recession or a health crisis. I think I've told you this story before about a friend of mine whose best friend died, girlfriend ditched him, he lost his dad, he, lo he lost his job, and his dad died all within the same two months. And he just got into a real deep depression. And in fact, he was suicidal. And one night he had a bunch of pills in his hands and he was going to take them. And then he had this thought just kind of crossed his mind. I wonder who's going to wi win the World Series this year. It was just kind of a stray thought, right? Kind of weird thought. And then that got him thinking, well, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. And that got him thinking, well, I wonder what God can do with all this rotten junk in my life if I just hang on. The helmet of salvation gave him the assurance that somehow God was going to save him. And so he threw the pills away. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation. The final weapon that I want to talk about that Paul mentions is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In this battle, the Bible, Scripture, is our best offensive and our best defensive weapon. When circumstances are hard, we can turn to the Bible and find the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. When we're tempted, we can turn to Scripture and remind ourselves of God's guidelines for whole and healthy living. Belt of truth, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Those are some of the weapons we have to fight the devil when he comes at us with all of his attacks, whether it's despair or guilt or rotten circumstances or whatever it is. And what all of these weapons point to can be summed up in one word, Jesus. Jesus is the truth that holds our lives together. Our faith is in Jesus. His righteousness is inside of us. Jesus is the one who saves and the Bible points to Jesus. And what this passage is really saying is whenever we feel attacked by Satan, we can turn to Jesus in prayer and he will defend us. He will fight for us. Which means that we can be active, not passive in this battle against the devil and all of his plans. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read that sentence, I kind of think it, seems, it sounds like the gates of hell are sort of attacking the church, right? And we're somehow going to hang on. But that's not what it says. Gates of hell is not an offensive phrase. It's a defensive metaphor. You see, the gates of hell are not assaulting the church. The church is assaulting hell. We are on the offensive and we are going to win. And I don't know about you, but to me, this is really good news. Because sometimes when I am feeling attacked, I just kind of lay there and take it. You know, I'm doubting. Circumstances are awful. Oh, river of despair, take me away. 
But this passage says that we can turn to Jesus, take up the weapons he's given us, and do vigorous battle with hell itself. And it won't always mean that we'll be spared pain in life. Even the Apostle Paul was martyred for his faith. But it does mean that Satan will not derail our relationship with God or stop us from doing what God wants us to do. I've told you the first half of this story before, but I want to tell you the rest of the story. When I was doing college ministry, one evening at our worship meeting, these three drunk men came in and began to heckle the speaker, who at the time wasn't me. And I wasn't sure what to do, so I, I slipped out of the room with one of my staff people to kind of fret and fume and figure it out, and at no point did we pray or anything like that. Just kind of made our plans. We decided that I'd quietly ask these drunk men to leave the room with me, and I'd go buy them some dinner which I did, and, and they left. But it was all very awkward, very difficult, you know. And, I mean, I think that the topic for that evening was even something like loving difficult people, right? So, you know, it looked like I kicked them out of the room, right? And one student came up to me afterwards and said, wow, Scott, that was so cool how when a crisis hit, your first instinct was to slip out of the room to pray. And I thought, pray? That would have been a great idea. <laughs> so I've told you that part before. The rest of the story is the next day I got bombarded with angry students who said, you know what, you handled that terrible, Scott. I mean, you, you could have handled it way better. Why didn't you stop the program and talk to them about Jesus? Why didn't you stop and pray for them? You know, what kind of role model are you? What kind of leader are you? I mean, just student after student after student for the whole couple of days after that. Now, I, I'm not sure that stopping the program and making those three guys the center of attention would have been good for them or anyone. But the spiritual warfare part took hold when Satan took all of those criticisms and just kind of amplified them in my mind. It's like he had this megaphone and he was shouting into my ear, you're no good. Dudley, you're a lousy leader. You're a lousy pastor. You don't belong in ministry. Give up. Go back to teaching. It was a spiritual battle. I could not get that voice out of my head. Well, that weekend I was scheduled to preach in the, in the main church services and I could not write that sermon. I was just too discouraged. All I kept hearing was I'm a fraud. I'm a failure, right? I ended up with the worst case of writer's block I have ever had in my life. So that by Friday night, I still had not written one word. So I called up the senior pastor, told him what was going on, and said, I can't preach on Sunday. Someone else will have to. You know, I'm a fraud. Get someone else. I can't do it. So he came over to my house, sat on the porch with me, and he said, Scott, listen to me. You are a great preacher, and you're a great leader. Look behind you. There are people following you. And I thought, well, not anymore. And they said, listen, I want you to stop listening to the devil and start listening to Jesus. Besides, there's no one else who can preach this weekend, so you're stuck with it. <laughs> so I went back to my office and I rebuked the devil. I said, devil, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to keep me from preaching God's word. And I'm, but Jesus doesn't want that to happen. So you just go ahead, devil, and you throw all these feelings at me that you want. Feelings of shame and discouragement and embarrassment. You just throw those feelings at me, Satan, and feelings. You just, you just feel away. You just sit there in the corner and feel away. Feel worried. Feel anxious. Just have yourself a little feeling party. Because I'm going to go to my computer, I'm going to write a sermon, and I'm going to preach God's word, and you can't stop me. I've got Jesus' righteousness inside me. I will not be ashamed. I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation because God will deliver me, and I'm going to preach that sermon. So be gone, devil. It didn't help one bit. <laughs> I still felt sick. But then I took up the shield of faith, acted on what I believed, opened my Bible, the sword of the Spirit, and the passage I was supposed to preach on was Moses' call into ministry. And as I read the, the, the story, the belt of God's truth started to put me back together again. 
And I read the story and I thought to myself, Scott, look, I mean, Moses was a murderer, plus he stuttered. I mean, talk about writer's block. And God still used him. And you're not that much more screwed up than Moses. So, you know, it's going to be all right. And then I heard God say, Scott, I am with you. I have called you. I believe in you. And I'm not asking you to part the San Francisco Bay. Just write a sermon. You think you can do that? Doesn't even have to be good. Right? And I'm with you. So I wrote that sermon, I preached that sermon, Satan lost that battle of discouragement. Circumstances come and circumstances go. Feelings come and feelings go, but Jesus gives us the power and the weapons to do his will in spite of how we feel, in spite of how discouraged we are, in spite of our circumstances, in spite of whatever pain we're in. We can move forward. You see, spiritual warfare is like squatter's rights. Satan doesn't own the property, which is you. Jesus owns you. But Satan thinks if he just squats on you long enough, you'll give up and stop following Jesus and he'll own you. Now, you wouldn't let that happen in your house, right? Some stranger came into your house, plopped down on the couch, picked up the remote and turned the television to WWF wrestling or something, right? You wouldn't allow that. And just thinking if he just sat on the couch long enough, you'd give up and the house would be his. You wouldn't put up with that. You'd kick him out. It's the same with Satan. When he tries to take control of your life through circumstances, discouragement, despair, whatever it is, tell him to get lost in the name of Jesus. When my brother was in college, he was on a track team. And on their practice run route, there was this tiny little yippy dog that would always come out and bark at them. Now, I need to say before I go any further, no animals were harmed in this sermon illustration. (laughs) So if you belong to PETA, relax. Now, my brother and I had a word for little dogs that would bark at you like they were a pit bull. We called them bootables because, you know, they acted all big and tough, but you knew that you could drop kick them through the goalpost of life if you needed to, right? Not that we ever did. So every time the track team would go out on this run, this little bootable would come out and bark and snarl and chase him like it was a Doberman or something, but it was just this little sissy dog. Until one day, the team captain came up with a plan. When the dog came out after them, on the count of three, the entire track team turned around, stomped their feet, and let out a huge yell. And the dog just froze. And then it fell over, stunned. But after a few minutes, it got back up, ran off, and never bothered them again. Here's my point. Satan is a bootable. Satan is a bootable. His bark is loud. But you know what? He has already been defeated. At the cross, he took his best shot at Jesus, death. And Jesus absorbed it and turned it into new life through his resurrection. So when the devil comes at you with his attacks, just stomp your feet and say, in the name of Jesus, get lost, Satan. You're just a bootable. And if that doesn't work, get some folks around you to pray for you and support you. I had to do this yesterday. You know, I always live what I preach on. So why did I pick this topic? And I was was battling some anger and some other difficult emotions, having a really hard time connecting with God. But I heard this one phrase over and over again, call on your lieutenants. So I asked two friends to pray for me, and within about an hour, the Father's love just kind of drove all that junk away. Satan is a bootable. And when we call on Jesus, we align ourselves with the forces of heaven against the powers of hell. And when we act on what we believe, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we forgive those who hurt us, when we stand up for his justice, when we preach good news to the poor, we are on the Lord's side fighting the powers and principalities of this dark world, and we will win. So when Satan comes at you with all of his doubts and his fears and his discouragement and his circumstances, just say, you can't do this to me. I belong to Jesus. I am redeemed in him. You will not win this battle. 
Because at the name of Jesus, fear has to change.